Pastor Ed Ray with a most important question. So he carefully brings Martha to the most important question she will ever respond to. Also the most important question you and I will ever respond to. And whoever lives and believes in me trusts, never die. Do you believe this? There's the gospel all together in one place. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place, God will dwell with man. Sick, be healed, and the crippled stand singing, Hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, Let this world know me by your love. If we look back at our lives, we could see peaks and valleys all over the place. Who could forget those good times, like our wedding day, or graduation from high school, or college, or getting that job we really longed for? Then, of course, there are the unforgettable valleys, the death of a loved one, economic hardship, divorce, or dealing with a rebellious child. We all experience hard times. But as Christians, there's someone we can go to for comfort and help. We're about to take a look at the death and resurrection of Lazarus and see where true hope is found when all seems lost. It'll bring needed perspective to our prayer lives too. Here's Pastor Ed Ray in John chapter 11 on Growing Grace. So if you're a visitor here to the church, you notice that a woman came up and prayed at this service. And often we have men. And the reason I wanted a woman to pray this morning is a woman asked me, maybe she's here this morning a couple of weeks ago, she came up and she said, why do only men pray in your church? And for some reason that Sunday we only had men pray. And I said, well, that's not true actually. What she was saying in her eyes was, are you really just a male chauvinist pig? But she didn't say that. She was too polite. And so I smiled and laughed and, and I said, no, do you think men pray better than women? I laughed out loud. No, in fact, women pray a lot more clearly than men do. They're more precise. I mean, they're more practiced at it. And men struggle sometimes being up in front. Well, then why do you have men pray? Because, two reasons. Number one, all churches in America are filled with two-thirds of the population female. Two out of three people in any church in America today are female, and only one-third are male. I don't think that's true in our church because we work hard to make sure that men understand real men love Jesus. How do you say that? Well, you let men pray when they're not the best prayers, but you want them to step out, and you put a 11,000 horsepower dragster motor in the men's restroom. Some of you are going, what in the world is he talking about? Now, that's the truth. What I just said is the truth. We had a, the Winter Nationals last year. The chaplain came here on Sunday morning, and he prayed, and, and he went in the men's bathroom, and he took a picture. We have the most photographed men's bathroom of all the churches in the world, because we're the only one with the dragster motor. Why is it in there, she says. And I said, well, the women 
decorated the woman's bathroom. And it's beautiful. It's got potpourri and dried flowers and little hand lotion containers. It's perfect for women. And they asked me, well, can we do the men's? No, I said, no, absolutely, stay away. And one of the guys said, I got just the thing. <laughs> and he rolls in this traction motor. It actually set a world record. It's a real motor. And so when, when guys walk in, they go, hey, this is a church, man. <laughs> this is a church. So that's what we're working on. Jesus loves real men. He loves real women too. I mean, obviously. So that's the first part, the request. Now the second part, the reply. When Jesus heard, Lord, the one you love is sick, he said, his sickness is not unto, it, it will not end in, is what he's saying, death, but for the glory of God. Now, glory isn't a word we use in everyday speech. It, the word literally means weight, for the weight of God. In the 70s and 60s, people used to say, that's heavy, man. And that's what this word means, kabod. God has substance. He has weight. It also means to display openly so that God would be displayed openly and that the Son of God, Jesus, would be glorified, displayed through it. So, John would later say, Lazarus' death at this time wasn't the end, and it answers all the questions about death. Sickness is not a sign of unbelief or a lack of faith or that God is upset at you. Lazarus' illness was not related to any sin. So Jesus again reaffirms his feelings about this family. Verse 5, Jesus loved Martha and her sister, Mary, and their brother, Lazarus. And this is the Greek word for unconditional love. Did you know that God loves you unconditionally? It's agape or agapos. To have a deep, divine, selfless love. You can't blow it so badly that God won't still love you. Unconditional, not based upon your performance. Oh, you need to confess your sins, and he's faithful and just to forgive your sins. His love is so unconditional, the next verse says, because he loved them, he stayed. What? Look at verse 6. So, the word is therefore, because he loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Now, he's 27 miles away. Jerusalem is at 2,600 feet, and where he is down the Jordan River is about 1,600 feet below sea level. So there's like more than a 3,000-foot drop in only 27 miles. This is a pretty steep road. So he's down there at the river, and they send a kid down, a young man, who says, hey, Lazarus is sick. And so he waits two more days. And then he starts, and it's a full day walk, more than a day walk, uphill, to go back to Jerusalem. So because he loved them, he stayed two more days. Then, after this, he said to his disciples, let us go. What's going on here? Why is Jesus waiting? Jesus has healed at least two other people, resuscitated them, or in this case, resurrection, which means they were dead. First one, widow of Nain, a little village called N-A-I-N, 
and Jesus comes into the village as the funeral procession is coming out. And it's in Luke 7. You can go look it up. And Jesus walks up to the funeral buyer where the boy is on it, dead. And he puts his hand on the stretcher and the kid sits up. Jesus ruined funerals. Every time he shows up, this is a rude awakening. So this kid wakes up. But Jews are in the habit of burying their dead the day that they die. And so that boy had only been dead for maybe a few hours. Also, over in Mark chapter 5, Jesus went to Jairus' house. You might remember he was the leader in the synagogue in Capernaum. And Jairus comes, he said, my daughter is dying, you have to come. Jesus went with him. But before they got there, somebody came and stopped them and said, don't bother, she's dead. And Jesus said, just believe, Jairus. And they went. Jesus goes in and they said, don't bother her, she's dead. He said, no, she's just sleeping. And they laughed him to scorn, it says. And so he pushed past, says to the little girl, Tabitha Kume, which is little girl, little lamb, arise, takes her by the hand, and she sits up. Resurrection. But again, it was probably she'd only been dead for a few minutes, maybe an hour or two. And so they were thinking, as you are thinking right now, if you're a skeptic, if you're here and you're not a believer, you're thinking, well, you know, it just resuscitated him. You know, two paddles, clear, <clears throat> and they breathe again, right? It happens all the time. That's what EMTs do and accidents. So Jesus said, I love you too much to come right away. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait two more days. Kid took a day to get there. That's the day Lazarus died. Jesus waits two more days. Then he takes a full day to get all the way back. Now think Palm Springs. Think 29 Palms. Think Barstow in August. Think Stink. Think bloating. Think dead man. Four days. That's the point. He's beyond resuscitation. His eyeballs have sunk in. His stomach bloated. I'm sorry. I worked in a hospital too long. You don't want to hear. You don't have to be a doctor to know when somebody's been dead for 24 hours, let alone four days. So, when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days. Then he says, let's go to Judea again. That southern part around Jerusalem. His disciples said, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to kill you. That was just last week, remember? And are you going there again? Go back? They were polite, but they were saying, you're crazy. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day of sunlight? If anyone walks in the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. The sun is the light of this world. These things he said that after that, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I will go to wake him up. I jumped a verse. Go back one. We'll look at it just a second. Don't want you to think I'm cherry picking. One walks in the night, he stumbles. Duh. Because the light is not in him. So he's not just talking about the sunshine. He's also talking about our hearts. Because when our heart is in sin, we don't see spiritual things in front of us. And we make mistakes. That's what he's saying. Now, verse 11. These things, he said, after he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go to wake him. Now, it wasn't proper then, nor is it technically proper now, to say that a believer is dead. 
The correct term is sleeps. That's what Jesus says. Speaking about the believers, listen, body. Your body sleeps. Your soul and spirit remains alive. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Your soul and spirit is with the Lord. Philippians 1.25, Paul writes, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. For if I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor. I want to stay and keep working. Then what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ. That'll be better. But it is more necessary for me that I remain in the body. Now, the word for resurrection that we're coming to here in a minute is the Greek word anastasis. You might know it from the mercy ship that goes around to various places where there's been calamities, some kind of earthquake or something. And it's called anastasis because that means resurrection. Now, ana means up. Stasis is to stand. Body, stand up. Not spirit, not soul, they're already with Jesus. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's why to the thief on the cross, Jesus said, hey, today you'll be with me in paradise. No waiting. You'll be wide awake. That's where we're going. The last breath you take here, the next breath is looking at Jesus. And it's to encourage us that we're immediately in his presence. To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. But when we take the last breath there, then we see him, and seeing him, we will be like him. And we will know as we are known, Paul wrote. Don't be stumbled by this concept of sleeping. When a believer dies, if you say they're sleeping, then you remember they're going to rise again. And their soul and spirit are with Jesus right now. We're in the middle of a hope-filled message from Pastor Ed Ray on Growing Grace. And again, we're in John chapter 11, and we left off at verse 12. 12. His disciples said, Lord, if he's having a nap, then he'll get well. That's a good thing. (laughs) Apostles are just like me and you. You ever give God any advice? That's what they're doing. Jesus spoke of his death. They thought he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. I'm pretty sure it must have been Peter that said that. Peter's really good at that. Verse 14. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Dead. (laughs) He's gone. Deceased. And I'm glad. Well, that's kind of cruel, Jesus. No, I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there. That you may believe, trust, cling to, rely on me. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Jesus meant that it was good that the faith of the disciples would grow when they know the guy's dead, dead. And there's no way it's resuscitation. This is resurrection. Thomas, who's called Dudamoth, Thomas is, remember, he's the guy who said, I'm not believing until I put my finger in his side. And then Jesus appeared the next night in a closed room. He said, Thomas, come here. He said, oh, no, Lord, I believe. He said, no, no, no. Come here and put your finger in my side. And he did. And now he believes. So this Thomas said to his other disciples when Jesus said, let's go to Jerusalem. He said, well, let us also go that we might die with him. That was the best I could get towards Eeyore. Okay, so 
This guy is Mr. Negative. Everything is wrong. So when Jesus came, verse 17, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Again, they put him in the day that he died. Jesus waits two more days, and then he takes a day to get back up there, and he's stuck in a grave, 100 degrees, warm climate, and the reaction. Now Bethany, verse 18, was near Jerusalem, a couple of miles away. El Azaria, we were talking about, and sits right up there on the top looking down. Many of the Jews, Jews, now remember when John says Jews, he doesn't, that's not an ethnic statement. He's talking about the Jewish leadership, the rabbis. John, who wrote the gospel, he's a Jew, technically speaking, he's related to Abraham, but he's talking about the Jewish leaders that were opposed to Jesus. So these men had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning the loss of their brother. So apparently they were a prominent family and the head of the Jewish faith shows up in their home. So they're all inside and everyone is mourning. There's flute players, there's drummers, and they're wailing because if you, the sadder you are, the more you're showing your love in the Middle East. Still that way today. And so it's into that area that Jesus comes. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, she left the house. She went and met him. But Mary's back in the house. Why didn't she invite Jesus in? Lazarus effect. She's upset with God. Jesus didn't come when they needed him. He didn't answer their prayer exactly the way they asked for it. Martha said to Jesus, as she stood at the gate, Jesus is on the other side, you're not coming in here. Yeah, you came in when you wanted me to feed you and when you needed a place to stay, but when we needed a favor from you, God, where were you? You're staying outside this gate. Lord, if you'd been here, where were you? If you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. She knew Jesus had healed all kinds of people. She'd seen it. Blind people, deaf people, people with leprosy, people who had died, little boy, little girl. She didn't have any questions about whether he could, but she has questions about who he is. What do you mean? Well, she believed he was a miracle worker. She believed that he was a great teacher. She heard him teach. She believed that he was a good man, but she didn't believe he was God yet. And she's about ready to see it with her own eyes. That's the crux of this miracle. No resuscitation, we're waiting four days, so he stinks. In fact, she'll say that, we'll see. But even now, she says, I know that whatever you ask God, God will do it for you because you're his favorite. She should have said, you're God. That would have been more accurate. But she didn't believe it. She's upset. So Jesus gives her inside information. Your brother will rise again. Bodies stand up. She said to him, well, I know, I know. 
that he'll rise again in the resurrection of the last day. She was an Orthodox Jew. Orthodox Jews have always believed in a resurrection. That's why they all want to be buried in Jerusalem. It's a short trip to the Temple Mount. David wrote, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. They're right. David got it right. Job said, after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that my flesh shall see God. I will be in my flesh and see God. He was absolutely right. So she believed, because she was a Jew, that she would see her brother alive at the great resurrection. At the great standing up, Jesus answers her. I love this. I am the resurrection, he says, and life. He who believes, he who what? He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. He'd already said that he was bread of life, the light, the door, the shepherd. This is the fifth I am statement. I am the stand-up guy. I am the, get this, source. I am the creator of DNA. Because everything we know that's alive in biology, anything that's alive has the DNA. Four nucleotides, four chemicals. They're all the same in that blade of grass out there or in you. Or in the person sitting next to you. Now, the, the coat's a little bit different. You got a different program in you than your spouse, but he's the source of that. He is the cause. He is the supply of life. He created Adam from clay and he breathed the breath of light into him. And he will breathe the breath of life, his Holy Spirit, into you when you are born again, if you haven't been this morning. So he carefully brings Martha to the most important question she will ever respond to. Also the most important question you and I will ever respond to. And whoever lives and believes in me trusts never die. Do you believe this? There's the gospel all together in one place. Martha, you believe I'm a good teacher. You believe I do miracles because God lets me. You believe I'm a nice guy. You believe I'm the best rabbi you ever met. But do you believe I'm God that I will resurrect you on the last day? She said to him, yes, Lord. How would you answer today? Do you believe Jesus is God? Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Christ. That's what it means. You are the creator. You are the son of God. You are God, the son, who has come into the world, who was predicted, who was prophesied that would come. Very clear. Messiah, divinity, and the one who was prophesied. Here you are. This is the pinnacle of the miracles because John said, I'll read it to you. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And believing that, you may have life in his name. We're going through the Gospel of John with Pastor Ed Ray here on Grow in Grace. 
and it's just a part of our Through the Bible study. If you'd like the CD, which contains the complete and uninterrupted message, call us today at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. You can also listen to the program online at thepackinghouse.org. And again, we're at thepackinghouse.org. We're thankful to the Lord for this opportunity to share His Word over the radio, and maybe this is a ministry you'd like to support. This would be a wonderful time to hear from you, and we'll say thanks by sending you The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. This is a classic devotional that has moved the hearts of believers for well over a century. Each chapter focuses on one attitude of God, from God's infinitude to his immutability, grace and goodness. I think you'll find it to be both theologically rich and approachable. Again, we'll send you the knowledge of the holy when you give a gift of any amount to grow in grace. Just call us right now at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. And if you wouldn't mind in the next day or two, Send off an email to let us know you're listening and what you're getting out of the present series in John. It's encouraging to hear how God is at work through growing grace. Let us know what the Lord is doing in your life when you email us at packinghouseradio at aol.com. And then join us back here next time as we return to our study of the Gospel of John. This has been Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray a presentation of the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands, California. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place got to dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand, singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said let this world know me by your love.